Today, the Senate approved a $480 billion hike in the debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling is just a joke. When you create a statute that requires Congress to vote on something, but the voting is just pro forma, because the argument is always, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, horrible, terrible things will happen. When we talk about things like the budget <laughs> and the ridiculous debt ceiling, which is, in fact, no ceiling at all, if you're older, I mean, if you're in your 20s, this probably isn't going to work for you, but if you're older, especially if you're, say, 40, 50, 60, think back, because we've had a series of administrations, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, look back and ask yourself if, on the whole, the federal government's financial picture in terms of being fiscally responsible or reducing spending has changed at all under any administration of any of the two dominant political parties. It never has. Spending just continues to climb exponentially. And with it, the national debt. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. I think it should be obvious, even with the federal government running the printing press and the dollar being the world's reserve currency, massive, continual, growing debt is unsustainable. The only real question is, at what point will the chickens come home to roost? Not, not if they will come home to roost, it's when they will come home to roost. And you know what the best way is to make sure that that day doesn't come? Is to be fiscally responsible today. So again, I want to repeat, if we go back, say, 50 years and we look at Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, administrations, and by that I'm not putting the, uh, the, I'm not pointing a finger at the executive branch because this is all really done by Congress. And in a moment, I want to talk about who's responsible for that. But before I get to that, the next item I want to talk about is... <laughs> Joe Biden wanting the IRS to get information from banks on every single person's financial transactions, $600 or above. Okay. Now, of course, Joe Biden's tax position publicly and privately, who knows what the fuck he wants, but publicly the pitch has been he wants to make billionaires pay their fair share. Which, of course, would mean that every single American who has transactions in a bank of $600 or more has to have that automatically reported to the IRS in order to get the billionaires to pay their <clears throat> fair share. What a lot of people will consider <laughs> good news is that Democrats and Republicans in the House and the Senate are working to change that $600 limit. And the number that's being bandied about right now is they're going to raise it all the way up to $10,000. And there are some people, I imagine, that are going to say, well, that's, that's much better. It's not. And let me explain why. Uh, this is a profound shift in the law. It has always been presumed that without some at least tenable connection to potential criminal conduct, your banking is your private business, and it's not the business of the government. If you owe any taxes, that's your job to report that on your tax return. It is not the legal responsibility of banks to shovel your private information day in and day out to the IRS. In fact, the IRS historically, if they have wanted to look at your bank account, they have to serve a summons on the bank. And I'm not going to get into that. You probably are aware I'm the author of Income Tax Shattering the Mist. And so a lot of these things that we in society 
society and even the bank's legal department consider lawful when you actually get into what the statutes and the regulations really say. They're not lawful at all, but we're not going to get into that today. As of this very moment in time, if the IRS wants to look at what's in your bank account, the information about your bank transactions, they have to send a summons to the bank, and that summons has to be part of an examination, what the public typically calls an audit. It can't be random. It can't be arbitrary. And the broader context is that to target a bank account, that person has to be someone upon whom Congress has imposed the income tax. And again, to keep this short, I'm not going to get into that. But if you want to know more, certainly read Income Tax Shattering the Myths. But the reason I say this is an utterly profound shift is this does away with the summons part of it. This says you don't have to be a person upon whom Congress has imposed the income tax. You don't have to be undergoing an examination by the IRS. There, no summons is required now. No human beings are involved in saying, you know what, we, we believe we actually have cause to pull back the curtain, do away with this person's financial privacy, and look at what's in their bank account. No longer is a person involved in that. What Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing right now is they're saying, if you have a bank account, you no longer have privacy. If you do anything over $600 and you have a bank account, the government gets to know about it, period. In other words, this is very close to being a 100% eradication of banking privacy in the U.S., so it doesn't matter whether Biden's 600 or the compromise number in Congress as 10,000. It's still a complete repudiation of your financial privacy. Complete. So with all that said, who's responsible for this? Well, you are. Uh, let me explain, at least from my point of view. We have this horrible, horrible, horrible system in the United States called the two-party system. And really, the, what the two-party system thrives on is animosity towards anyone in the other party or the other party's principles, if you would prefer. So what happens is someone comes along who's moral and ethical and wants to do the right thing for the American people, uh, especially as we get into the national level of politics. That means that person cannot be part of the Democrat Party or part of the Republican Party. They have to go to someplace like the LP or some other party. By the way, I'm not an LP member. I think the LP has a whole lot of problems. I'm libertarian-minded. I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party. But the point is, somebody who's honest and fair and decent and reasonable and wants to be a servant to you has no home in the Democrat or the Republican Party. So what happens is we get these absolute a-holes in, in each side of the party. And somebody says, look, there's that guy over there who's moral, he's ethical, he's committed, he wants to be a servant of the people. But if I vote for that kind of person, I'm, do you want to fill in the blank? Wasting my vote because I need to vote for my scumbag in my party that I love, that I, I cling to emotionally. I have to vote for that guy to make sure the other a-hole in the other party who I detest doesn't get into office. So I'm going to vote for this a-hole so that a-hole doesn't get into office. And then I'm going to feel really fucking good about having done that. That is just insane. We talk about the lesser of two evils, which is <laughs> what a morally, ethically bankrupt principle. Because when you vote for the lesser of two evils, what do you get? Yes, evil. Our system today, this two-party system, is set up so that you are always voting for evil. Always. I love the wasting your vote thing because 
That is the ultimate self-fulfilling prophecy. You've got millions of people who could vote for that guy over there who's moral, ethical, and really wants to be a servant. Million, perhaps hundreds of millions of people who could vote for him, and that person would win. But instead they say, this self-fulfilling prophecy, well, if I voted for that person, then I would be wasting my vote. One of the things that blows my mind when I see comments on social media and postings is people on the right, as an example, just spewing vitriol at somebody like Pelosi, and people on the left spewing vitriol at somebody like Mitch McConnell. You know, and the part that I find so humorous about that is, guess what? There's no vitriol between McConnell and Pelosi. They get along fine. <laughs> they sit down, they have dinner, they have cocktails, they shoot the breeze, they ask about family, they talk about things, and of course they get down to the business of what they're doing in Congress. But there's no animosity or vitriol between the two of them, using just the two of them as an example, because they understand the game, the game they're playing. And that game is to keep one party in power, and then a little bit down the road, the other party's in power, and then a little bit down the road, then the first party is in power again, and a little bit down the road, then the second party is in power again. They understand that's the game, so they keep the power, and you don't. So if you participate in that, and I'm not talking about going out and voting, I'm, I'm talking about up here. If, you part if you're on the right and you're like, oh, Nancy Pelosi's the worst scumbag in the world. I wish those January 6th people had gotten and shot her in the head. If you're on the left and you're like, Mitch McConnell needs to be hung as a traitor to this country, you're the fucking problem, not McConnell or Pelosi, because you're too fucking stupid to see what's actually going on, to see how they are using and manipulating you. So what's the solution to this? Is there some magical third party going to spring up and maybe a fourth party and a fifth party? By the way, we're one of the only countries that really has this locked-in two-party system thing that's so corrupt. Most countries, they have a wide variety of parties from which to choose from, and then they have to make alliances in order to govern. So what are the odds that a third party is suddenly going to pop up in a fourth and a fifth, if possible, and start competing effectively against the Republicans and the Democrats. Well, that would be zero. There are a number of reasons, but probably the most significant is how the debates are run. You cannot get into the debates, even if you would smoke the Democrat depart uh, candidate debating, if you would smoke the GOP candidate at the debate, if you would absolutely smoke them, you can't get in unless your polling numbers are sufficient. And your polling numbers will never be sufficient because even when people are polled, they're thinking in their mind, I can't support this guy because that would be wasting my vote. The only practical solution that I can come up with, because there's many things that we could do, but just it's absolutely not going to happen. And probably the one I'm about to suggest is also not going to happen. What we need to do is have a constitutional amendment at the federal level. And here's what it would do. It would take the total number of registered voters, and it would require in any given election that a candidate for a candidate to be declared the winner and move on to holding office, get sworn in and go through all of that. That person would have to receive a minimum percentage of votes, that percentage being against the total number of registered voters. So for illustrative examples, let's say a particular jurisdiction had a hundred registered voters. 
And those 100 registered voters looked out and they said, okay, so these candidates are horrible. None of these candidates are going to do right by us. Now, this presumes that people can pull their head out and stop doing the, I have to vote for this guy to keep that guy out of office. That the, the people have to be smarter than to be manipulated like that. So then what would happen is the people would say, I'm not going to vote for anybody. Now, here in Nevada, we have that. You have the people that are running, and then the last choice is none. So this could be done all over the country. So what happens is people don't go to vote, or they vote on certain issues, but the, the, in the scenario we're discussing where the candidates are trash, they hit none. If enough people do that, then nobody wins the office. Okay? This expresses the dissatisfaction of the voters with the choices they've been given. And I think just shifting to that mindset would allow third parties to have more sway with the voters because the voters would then say, you know what? I don't have to elect any of these sphincters unless somebody I think is going to do a good job. Somebody who's going to truly be a servant of the people is on the ballot. So until that happens, I'm not voting for that office. In other words, the candidates put up by the dominant parties can't get elected. Having just laid that out, what do I think is the obstacle to that succeeding? Uh, is it the constitutional principles? Well, that, they probably would be challenged, but where they would end up, we don't know. But in my opinion, the real problem is the American voters. Having watched with a careful and I hope discerning eye for decades now what voters are doing in the United States, I don't think they really give a shit about personal liberty. What they really want is, are you ready? Whatever they want, whatever they feel is right, that's what they want government to do. If, it, if they're on the right and something the right wants infringes on the constitutional rights of the left, well, the right's happy to do that. If people on the left want to get something done that's important to them and it infringes on the constitutional rights of people on the right, well, they're more than happy to do that without a moment's hesitation. In other words, we have a nation of voters who are children. I want what I want, I want what I want, without any consideration to constitutional constraints or personal liberty. And that, I mean, they don't act like that publicly when they're talking to other people, but in here, they're like little children. I want it, and if I want it, then I'm going to get it, and I'm going to vote for my guy so I can get it. And because of that mindset, we have this continual diminution of personal liberty in the United States. And it's not stopping. As far as I can tell, it's actually increasing. So ultimately, what's the answer? I don't know. Uh, I think ultimately the answer is for Americans to be honest with themselves, acknowledge how they vote and why they vote. And, and I, this, is gonna be, this, this is why it'll never happen. They cannot be mature. They cannot say, yes, that's actually, that whole thing that Dave just went through, that's actually how I've been voting for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. They're not emotionally capable of saying that because they've done it time and time again for decades. I don't know if you're aware psychologically, the more you hold a particular idea or principle or notion and then you act on it. Each time you do that, you reinforce in your mind psychologically the correctness of that action. Even if it's flat out wrong, the more often you do it based on a, do a thing based on a particular mindset that you have, the more you cement in your mind the rightness of your conduct. 
So somebody who's been voting one way or the other way, um, they've been voting to diminish the boundaries of the Constitution, just nudge them a little bit more all the time, to diminish the rights of people who disagree with their political views. And they always have a concocted moral justification because those motherfuckers are evil and I am righteous. And so that becomes a part of their emotional construct. The other people are the enemy. They are the righteous. And so what I'm sharing today that, that you're not, I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican, if you're doing the kind of things I discussed, what, probably 10, 15 minutes ago now, you're not doing the right thing. You're not the moral guy. You're not saving America. You have bought into the two-party system BS that is keeping the elites in power while you lose more and more of your freedom. So by all means, do not acknowledge to yourself who you really are and what you've really been doing. Earlier, I mentioned income tax shattering the myths. I'm not going to go into it here. Uh, I'll just say... <laughs> If you really want to know about personal liberty and you really want to tell the system, then you have to get educated. So I'm going to suggest to you that if you would like to get educated, you're willing to admit that perhaps there's some things you don't know and see the evidence with your own two eyes, go to drreality.news, grab yourself a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths, and also Body Science while you're there. Both of them will reinforce in a way that probably nothing you've ever read has reinforced that the entire establishment, the entire political structure, the entire community of elites, the establishment has never been working in your interest. And grabbing a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mr. Body Science helps me be here for you. Thank you.